for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Bobby's saying, I don't know how you can follow on, but in fact, I'm hoping the Holy Spirit's going to carry on for the rest of the meeting, like he's been around at the beginning. It's, it's been absolutely fantastic. And in fact, um, if we could have our first slide up. <laughs> um, I know I'm meant to be speaking on 1 Corinthians 8, and being a very obedient member of the body of Christ, I will comply. But this is what I feel the Lord was saying was the key message for this morning. Um, it is for freedom that we have been set free and to stand firm in that. It says that in Galatians 5. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm and don't be enslaved. And I just feel all the testimonies this morning have been about freedom and God bringing freedom in physical health and in job situations. And I just want to say to you that if Jesus is in your life or if you're thinking of inviting him into your life, He hasn't come to restrict you and to confine you and to close you down. He's come to liberate you and to expand your horizons and to cause growth and development. It does say in the Bible, the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter to the full light of day. So that's what God's come to do for you this morning. And we've had practical examples of that. People have shared testimonies of how God's done that. So just be encouraged. And um, really, this morning, I'm speaking from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and it's about freedom. It is that chapter, really, is about freedom. It's how to get it if you don't have it, or if you want more of it, and how to handle it if you do have it. Um, I, I think a lot of Christians would probably identify with me. I feel that I have a measure of freedom, but I don't think I fully understand the freedom that Christ wants me to have. It's a growing thing. It's a journey. If you're like me and you're a fan of Strictly, you know all about journeys. You always have to go on a journey of being a useless dancer to being the one who wins the glitter ball. So as Christians, we're on a journey and we're growing in freedom. We're growing in an understanding of what it means to be free in Christ. And I believe that Jesus was the freest individual who ever walked around on the earth. And he brought freedom to those around him. And that's what I believe he wants to do this morning. So, you know, I was saying to Bob just before I stood up to speak, this is a morning when anything could happen because things are really going. And I just, I don't want to get in the way of that at all. I want to give the Lord free reign to do whatever he wants to do. One of the things I think is amazing about the Bible is the panoramic sweep of it. I just love the fact that you've got the whole great story of God. You've got creation. You've got the fall. You've got Jesus' rescue mission to come to this earth. And then you've got the whole story of how it's going to end up and we're going to be with him forever. And that's amazing. And it's something that great minds grapple with. But then God brings us down to the nitty-gritty of life. And he says, okay, in view of all that I've done and in view of all that you have in me, what kind of people are you going to be and what kind of life are you going to live? So this, this chapter is about how we relate in this world to people who don't share our Christian beliefs. You know, there are people around who don't share our Christian beliefs. How do we relate to them? How do we relate to our culture and our society? And also... How do we relate to people who do share our beliefs but don't agree with us on everything, (laughs) who have a different opinion? Because do you know something? I've discovered as a Christian that not everybody has the same opinion as me. 
Obviously, they're wrong. <laughs> they need the Lord to bring them revelation. But, you know, there's, there's a little um, verse I felt. It's a Christian rhyme that makes me laugh. I'm going to share it with you. I think it sums it up. It says this. To dwell above with the saints we love will be grace and glory. But to dwell below with the saints we know, that's another story. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of divisions in the church aren't to do with... Um, major doctrine often they're about differences of opinion and I don't think Satan cares what it is that divides us whether it's uh, a big doctrinal issue or whether it's a difference of opinion as long as we're divided he's happy but God doesn't want us divided so let's just read this chapter the issue for the Christians I'm just going to um, just explain a bit before we read this chapter eight the issue that the Corinthian Christians were facing was this issue about eating food offered to idols Um, because idol worship and the temples, the pagan temples, were rife in Corinth. And if a Christian woman was going to get food from the marketplace for a meal, then that food would very likely have been offered to an idol. And they were worried about that. They were saying, is it okay as Christians to eat food that's been offered to idols? And also a lot of the socialising took place in the context of the temple. You know, if you wanted to socialise with your friends, that's where a lot of it took place. And yet there was a lot of immorality and wickedness as well. So they were saying, you know, as, as Christians, is it okay to eat meat? Might there be some kind of curse on it because it's been offered to an idol? Um, is it okay to mix with friends who are engaging in practices that are not consistent with our views? So, you know, that's very relevant in our context. I don't think many of us are worried today about eating food that's been offered to idols, but we've got other issues. Mm-hmm. So that's what this chapter's about. It's how do we relate to non-Christians and how do we relate to one another? So somewhere on, that, should, that should be relevant for you, I think. So what does Paul say? What he says, um, it actually is in another chapter, chapter 10, verse 25. His answer to the question about eating meat offered to idols is... He says, eat anything sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience. He says that in chapter 10, verse 25. For he says, and this is key really, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So he says, you can go to the temple, you can eat the meat that's previously been offered to idols, but not to get involved in idolatry. Um, Because... I think with, with the Lord, it's always the same. It's about your heart he's interested in. And he knows whether you're worshipping other idols or not. It's, it, it's what's going on in your heart that matters to God. So that's what he says. And when I was reading that bit, I'm going to read the chapter. I'm going to, this is the preamble. I'm going to read the chapter in a minute. But, you know, it just reminded me of the Old Testament. You know the story of Naaman the leper? He was a Syrian and he had leprosy and he went to Israel and he was healed of his leprosy by God through the prophet Elisha. And he knew he, he, through that he came to faith in the God of Israel. But he he knew he was going back to Syria and he said, when I go back to Syria, uh, my commander will expect me to go with him to the temple of Rimmon, the false god Rimmon, and to bow down because he leans on me and when he bows, I'll bow. Is that okay? So again, it was another, is it okay to do this? Now I'm a Christian. And Elisha said the same to him, he said, go in peace. Because in the end, it's what's in your heart. And God knew that Naaman wasn't bowing to Rimmon. Does that make sense? That's how, that's how it is. So let's just read this chapter and you'll, you'll see for yourself. In this chapter, the key words, I think, are knowledge and love and having a weak conscience or having a strong conscience. So this is what Paul says in answer to their question about food offered to idols. 
He says, now, about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That's the key phrase. The man who thinks he knows something doesn't yet know as he ought to know, but the man who loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But this is a key phrase. He says, but not everyone knows this. And he's talking about Christians here. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food doesn't bring us near to God. We're no worse if we don't eat and no better if we do. And then this is another key thing. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom doesn't become a stumbling block to the weak. So he's been talking to people who've got a strong conscience. But then he goes on to talk about people with weak consciences. He says, For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, he concludes, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin... I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. So he says it's okay to eat meat, but with one provisor, you need to consider people around you and the impact it has on them if they see you doing that. So Paul talks a lot in this chapter about knowledge and love. And as I said, we're not perhaps so interested in eating um, meat, but the sort of questions we might ask that are on the same lines are, how do I mix with my non-Christian friends? Uh, Can I go to places they invite me where there's sin and wickedness without being contaminated? How much alcohol can I drink? Should I drink alcohol? Uh, Can I watch um, this TV programme or play that game or read that book? How many meetings should I attend? Should I always go to church on Sunday? These are sort of issues. Am I watching too much TV? Am I spending enough time with my family? It's all those kind of issues where it's, it's not black or white, but it's about your conscience. And he gives us guidelines in this chapter about a strong conscience and a weak conscience. And for me, when I was reading this chapter, I I realised that actually we tend to think of somebody with a strong conscience as somebody who who has lots of principles and is very keen to live life rightly Um, and, you know, very principled, very scrupulous about things. But actually, Paul says the opposite. He says, some of these Christian Corinthians had strong consciences. They felt very liberated. They understood about being free in Christ. They knew they weren't under food laws. But they'd become proud of that knowledge, and then they became a bit dismissive and contemptuous of the people who hadn't quite caught on yet. And um, that's what Paul says. He says, actually, love uh, love builds up, but knowledge puffs up. And he said, if you're the sort of person who knows about freedom in Christ and you're dismissive of other people, then he says maybe you've not really understood the gospel at all. Because when you 
When you get Jesus in your life, it doesn't make you proud. It makes you glad and happy and humble and grateful. So he, he, that, that's what he says. He says, if you're not acting in love, you haven't really understood the gospel. But he said, other Christians have a weak conscience. And I think that may be the people that God's really speaking to this morning. People who haven't fully grasped their freedom in Christ to enjoy the things of the world. So they tend to have lots of rules and regulations over minor issues and then feel guilty and anxious when they break them. And, um, you know, going back to that verse about Jesus says, uh, Galatians says, for freedom you've been set free. And they know they're Christians, they know God has has saved them, but they, they haven't fully understood the freedom that they have in Christ. And so they tend to feel guilty and anxious about things. And um, you might identify a little bit. You might think, well, sometimes I'm like this and sometimes I'm the other way. It depends. But I just, a book I was reading recently was talking about your conscience. And it was saying, you know, sometimes we confuse our conscience with the voice of God. But he says, actually, the conscience, your sense of right and wrong, often comes from your upbringing and values that have been put in you as children. And sometimes we can have an over-strict conscience that condemns us when God doesn't. So you end up with an overdeveloped sense of responsibility and, you know, taking on people's burdens, feeling you've got to always say yes and you can never say no, that kind of thing. And you can end up being somebody who, who often feels condemned. You feel you're not quite doing enough to please God. And um, there's a lovely um, quote by Smith Wigglesworth. So if we could just put that up. Um, this is what he said, and it really touched me, so I'm, I'm reading it. He says... A large number of people fail to access God because the knowledge of their own imperfection makes them fearful of him. The devil sends tremendous traps for poor people who've made a little slip or haven't said just the right thing. They've done nothing especially wrong, but Satan makes a mountain out of a molehill and dethrones some of the loveliest people and deceives them in this way. But when Satan is near... God is nearer with an abounding measure of his grace. And when you feel defeated, remember, God has a banner waving over you to cover you at that moment with his grace and righteousness. I just, you know, I I remember going to a meeting once um, and it it was a small group leaders meeting and I was a small group leader at the time and I'd rushed from work and I got there and... And I felt really tired, and they had a time of worship, and all the others in the group were standing up and raising their hands and worshipping God, and I just felt really physically shattered. So I sat down, and I had a little conversation with God in my head, didn't say it out loud, and I just said to him, I'm just too tired to stand up and raise my hands, I'm really sorry. I'm just going to sit here, and I don't want you, this is me talking to God, I don't want you to think I don't love you, but I'm just too tired to stand up and raise my hands. I feel really (laughs) weary. And then at the end of the song, um, the pastor, the leader of the group, um, stood up. He just said, I've got this word from God, which sounds really odd, but I'm clear it's from God. I'm going to share it. God says it's okay to be weary. (laughs) And he said, God says, I know you've come here today after hard days at work and you're feeling tired, um, but don't think I'm condemning you. I want to draw near and strengthen you. Just rest in my presence and I will renew your strength. And I thought, oh, you know, I just, time and time again, God says things like that. And I think, you're so much kinder than I realise. You know, I can beat myself up, but you are so kind and so compassionate. 
So for those of us with weak consciences, hold on to that. So what does Paul say um, to each type of person? Um, He's got guidelines for each person. I'm just going to absolutely whiz through this (laughs) because I'm conscious of the time. Am I speaking faster and faster? (laughs) If we have the next slide. When Paul is talking to people who've got the weak conscience, the people who who beat themselves up and tend to have these rules and regulations that they're worried about breaking... Okay, what does he say? He says, don't sin against your conscience, even if it is a bit ill-informed. Um, because if you do, it just makes you feel bad and it, it can affect your relationship with God because you're, you're feeling guilty. And, and even though God isn't upset about it, it, it can affect your relationship. So he said, don't, don't sin against it, but change it by grasping the truth. You know, the Bible says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So it's about grasping the truth. Just recognise that your conscience isn't always necessarily the same as the voice of God. So you can feel bad about something that God doesn't have a problem with. So try and make sure your thinking's in line with scripture. So Paul, Paul said this. This is an example of somebody who, who was following their conscience but got it wrong. He said in 1 Corinthians 4, he said, My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. And he goes on to say... I was convinced, this was obviously before he became a Christian, I was convinced that I should do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's just what I did. I put many of the saints in prison and cast my vote against them when they were put to death. I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. This is a man following his conscience, right? In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. And then God broke into his life and changed his thinking. And that's what I'm saying. Sometimes we need to have happen. Um, Recognise that things in the world are neutral. That's what Paul's saying when he says in 1 Corinthians 3, 22, he says, all things are yours, whether the world or life or death or the present or the future. So, you know, food, drink, films, books, IT, all these things of the world, they're neutral. They're not bad or good. I grew up in a Pentecostal um, church where worldliness was very much not wearing makeup, not going to the cinema or the theatre, not drinking, not associating with people of the world in certain ways. Um, But I've I've learned, and there was a quote by John Wesley, which I think is really good. He says, worldliness is that which cools my affection towards God worldliness is what calls my affection towards God. So these things are neutral, but it's the effect they have on you and your devotion to God that's the important thing. And I believe as Christians, the printing, you know, we're supposed to use these things. And the example I've got is the printing press um, and William Tyndale. He was a man who was convinced that people ought to be able to read the Bible in English. At the time when he lived, it was in Latin, and only the priests knew it, uh, could read it and explain it to people, and they often distorted it. Um, but he managed, to con- he managed to translate it into English. And in fact, most of the King James Bible comes from his translation. And, um, but he made use of the printing press, which was newly developed at that time, to spread the word of God. So what I'm saying is just use the things in the world um, use them for God. Okay. And I, I, I was just thinking, you know, if, if suddenly at Gateway we were to ban computer games, Christians don't do computer games, I wouldn't mind. But if Christians weren't allowed to drink tea, that would be another matter. So <laughs> what I'm saying is different things for different people. But it's what makes you 
what calls you, your, your affection for God, what, what blunts your edge. That's, that's the thing that's important. So let's not judge one another. Um, maybe make steps, take steps to bring your thinking more in line with God's. Now, I would just like to give a plug to the Freedom in Christ course. You know, we've got lovely couples in this church who run that course, and that is all about learning more about who we are in Christ and being free. So that's, that's a good thing to, to bear in mind. Um, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. He's the teacher who lives within you. And, you know, when you think something, just say to God, you know, is that what you think, God? Are we in line with this? You know, because he will teach you and he will show you. And then those of us who have strong consciences... I don't know whether you can identify yourself, whether you have a tendency to have a weak conscience or a strong conscience, or whether you, you go between the two. Um, but a strong conscience, it just says, um, just if you have a strong conscience, rejoice. It, what it means is that you've understood who you are in Christ and all that he's done for you. But remember that love is above knowledge. In this chapter, the Bible, in, in the Bible, it's, it's about love. And balance that freedom of, love, of that freedom with love for nervous Christians who perhaps haven't fully grasped their freedom in Christ and don't encourage them to sin against their conscience. And also just bear in mind that love might lead you to temporarily abstain from some of your privileges and freedoms in Christ. And there's a lovely example in um, Matthew 17 where Jesus does this. Now, Jesus was somebody who was, who was quite happy to be controversial when it helped people. He didn't hesitate. So, like, he healed somebody on the Sabbath, and that caused a lot of problems because he broke the rules because he was wanting to help people. So Jesus was completely free and often controversial. But when it was just down to personal choice, he, he wasn't. So the example I'm thinking of is where Jesus paid taxes. Did you know Jesus paid taxes? <laughs> Everybody pays taxes. Even Jesus had to pay them. So... Um, but, but um, the, the people came to um, Jesus' disciples and said to him, does your master pay the temple tax? Um, and Peter said, yes, of course he does. And then he sort of went inside to check whether Jesus did or not, I guess. And Jesus said to him, he, because it was, a, it was a temple tax, Jesus said, asked him the question. He said, do, does the, do the kings of the world exact tax from their own children or from others? And Peter said, from others. And Jesus said, then the children go free. And what Jesus was saying, it's the temple tax, and I'm, the, I'm a child of God. You know, God doesn't tax his own people, I'm free. But then he said, and I think this is interesting, he said, but in order that we may not offend, he said, um, he said go and throw your line in, in the sea, and the first fish that comes out, open its mouth, and you'll find the money to pay my tax and yours. I just think, wouldn't you want Jesus around when it comes to paying your taxes? <laughs> but the, the point is, he said, so that we may not offend. So Jesus didn't set out to offend people. Um, he, he was prepared to abstain from him privileges and freedoms in order to bless others. And Paul was the same. He said, when I'm, when I'm preaching to the Jews, he says, I, I behave like a Jew. I keep the food laws. Because he said, I'm trying to win these people for Jesus. And if, if I offend them by, not, by breaking their laws then I'm, they're not, I'm not, they're not going to listen to me. So it's about, it's, about, it's about following the path of love. That's what it's basically about. And it may make you look unpredictable at times. People might have thought, oh, sometimes Paul seems very harsh and he follows the food laws and other times he doesn't. You may look inconsistent, but actually you are consistent because you're following the path of love. You're being governed by love. 
Okay, I think my last slide really is just um, don't compare. <laughs> you know that, go compare, go compare. Well, in the Bible, it's don't compare, okay? And we went on a really good course, um, a few of us. We went up to, London, uh, to Bedford for the Freedom Reigns Conference. And um, Wendy, one of the speakers there, was saying, you know, don't, don't look at other people, don't judge, don't compare, um, because it's taking your eyes off Jesus and focusing on yourselves and each other, and then you miss his unique plan and his journey for your life, and about not assessing other people and what they're doing, not judging one another, because, again, it takes our eyes off God and what he wants to do. So that's all I'm going to say. <laughs>